0: You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Hey friends, Dan Duvall here to remind you that the home of Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall is on danduvall.com. This is where you can come to find all of our past podcasts and descriptions, as well as the opportunity to become a podcast patron where you'll be able to uh, join our online community, access the podcast early, get exclusive discounts on merchandise, which can be found on our merchandise store at dandevall.com. We have all kinds of cool stuff, robes, flip-flops, shirts. Thank you for supporting us. And by the way, there's some great stuff and you'll even see me at times wearing it on this very podcast. We also have another offering. It's called overcomer accelerated at this opportunity. You'll be able to get coaching live ministry demonstration as part of group coaching with me personally, a book study and the entire institute that you can also find at bridemovement.com, but you get access to the whole thing on this platform for one monthly fee, as long as you're part of this program. And, 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 and it's a lot of, I mean, over 100 hours of, of teaching at your fingertips. You can start quarterly. Uh, every every year now we we started with our pilot this past fall and starting in january we'll start the next quarter you can enroll at the beginning of a quarter and you can stop anytime and we 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 made this for survivors of, of brokenness and trauma backgrounds that wanted to have a learning experience centered around their healing journey. So check it out at overcomeraccelerator.com. Super cool program. And there are different price points which you can come in on. And and, and you can also check us out at manifest.space, which is our private social network. We love putting people in community. You'll find some exclusive classes here and a lot of people that you can connect with. We'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Devall. Those were your announcements. All right, friends. Well, I want to tell you, I am sitting down with a very special individual today. Uh, she is not just here to share her testimony, but she has quite a story of victory and overcoming. She's also an advocate. And um, she is advocating for survivors of human trafficking and also satanic ritual abuse, it turns out. I have been introduced to my new friend, Sula, by another friend of mine and podcast guest, if some of you remember, Dr. Marlene Carson. Well, I found out that Sula is absolutely committed to what God has called her to do. And with a testimony of overcoming like hers, uh, she's someone I'm very excited to introduce you to. Now, Sula look, I kind of want to jump right in, but you do have a couple books. Why don't you tell our audience about them before we dive into the the, the guts of your story?
1: All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be able to be here with you. Um, so much honor and respect for you, your family and your ministry and all that you've done for this movement. Um, so it's an honor to be here. Uh, my first book that I'll, I'll share, I think that will probably have be the most of interest to this audience is fighting for your purpose from sex trafficking to ministry. And uh, it's available on Amazon. And it's really my story, which you'll hear most of today. And um, also kind of how I made it out of those complex traumas and found victory through Jesus and through a relationship with him. Um, I also have his beloved bride, which is a journey into deeper intimacy with Jesus. And that kind of gets more into encounters with him and, and um, knowing him in ways that I know this audience is probably already very familiar with being that it's Bride Ministries International. (laughs) So uh, those are the two that I'll share with for today. And hopefully they can be a blessing to those that are listening.
0: Wonderful. Now you went through human trafficking. I mean, this is, part of your story. This is something that God has helped you to overcome. Uh, I I read a large part of your book. I mean, let's let's start there. How did you go from your childhood to a, a situation where you found yourself being trafficked?
1: I think it all started from when I was a baby, um, exploitation and sexual abuse and sexual trauma was the beginning for me. Um, I had a a mom, a single mom that was doing the best that she could to raise me and go to school and, you know, provide for me. And so in doing that, she, you know, had to trust people to care for me, babysitters, you know, friends and things like that. And um, there was a house that I used to go to be sat at. And this was from the time that I was uh, 18 months old to three years old. And that's where the sexual trauma um, that was mixed in and entangled with the occult happened. So it's literally my first um, memories in life. And, um, as a baby, as a toddler there, I remember, um, you know, all of these mattresses on the floor. I remember hiding in closets, um, trying to, uh, stay away from adult males, you know, um, and big, their big body parts on me and being pushed under comforters and, um, suffocated and, um i learned i learned that oral sex was normal when i was a baby so obviously that's a very toxic very perverse thing to even say but in my reality i thought it was normal um and i thought it was something that you do when you are expressing love for someone or or you know care about someone And so um, my mom actually found out about this when I was three and I asked her to give me oral sex. Uh, And I was just a toddler. I just, you know, I thought it was normal because that's what my exploiters taught me. And of course, she was terrified, you know, and um, launched a whole investigation and got me out of there. And so then it was. Going to counseling, and we were in Berkeley, California. Um, And the counselor that I went to, unfortunately, um, was also a programmer. And so we gave permission, or my mom gave permission to her because she suggested doing a certain type of uh, hypnosis to help me through the trauma that I just went through. And she discovered um, immediately that I was fractured. That I had other parts by three years old. I other I had other parts already of me. And when she would um, talk to me about the sexual trauma, um, I would turn and talk to the other part of me, and I would ask, I would ask her what happened because my main, you know, consciousness, my, who the main presenter, a person that I was living from was not aware of it. Um, So I would turn and talk to the other part of me. And.
0: um, That's so interesting that you. Intuitively knew to do that. And, and, and at this point, are you still three or four or.
1: I was three years old when I was going to counseling and. uh, Some of this is like my, my mom told me, yeah, don't you remember you used to talk to, I used to have invisible friends, you know, <laughs> imagine, imagine, but they, it was really, you know, fractured, shattered parts of me. And, and it was the only way that I could even survive that type of abuse as a baby and keep living and going. And so I don't even think I was intentionally trying to, you know, to do that. It was just it was just my life. It was just the way things were. So she would talk to me and ask me questions about that stuff. And I would ask the one that it happened to. And I think that once this counselor realized that I had already fractured and had the ability to interact with other parts, that's when the idea came of the hypnosis. And um, she would put me in a state and read a script over me. And take me to locations. And there was a location specifically that this was the first location that I was taken to. And I don't know if I should explain the location or not. I don't want it to be potentially triggering to someone else. Or should uh, I?
0: (laughs) This is this is discovering truth with Dan Ball. I I, I will say this, friends that are listening, you got your trigger warning. Yes. Um, If you leave a mean comment, we'll delete it. Okay, please.
1: (laughs) All right. So, yeah, uh, the, the first place, it was like a purple place. It was a purple location where everything was purple. It was there were purple trees, purple, like water fountain, you know, warehouse warehouses and all of this. Everything was like primarily purple. And so during this hypnosis and her programming and reading things over me and I was to agree with her as we were progressing into this you know this location she told me that this will be a safe place for you and you can come back here whenever you want and basically like it's fun see you know and that's the that's the first location that at the at three years old that i was taken to and um i don't even know how long i was with that therapist or programmer in Berkeley. Uh, but and interestingly, I later found out uh, another survivor friend of mine was programmed in Berkeley in her early childhood. And that was the first location she was taken to as well. Um, and so it's just kind of, I don't, I don't even know what specific program that is, but Jesus has done so much work in me and and, and has healed me from so much. Um, that was my, those were my, my first experiences with exploitation and, and programming. And so in my early childhood, I I always remembered demons showing up and being very aware of the spirit realm. My family, you know, they were not Christians and I didn't have anybody teaching me about the spirit realm. There was no explanation other than the occult activities that I went through as a baby and a toddler and being with that programmer in Berkeley um, as to why I would have this, this awareness. Um, but for me, it was very common at night for demons to show up, um, rape me, you know, as I was like in between being asleep and awake and people would show up in my room in the spirit realm. Um, and you know, it just seemed, it just seemed like the nighttime was very active. So I would always cry to try and sleep with my mom or sleep with, you know, someone, because it seemed like if there was someone else around, they could kind of wake me up if I started screaming in my sleep or something. But that was most of my life prior to getting freedom. Um, it was very tangled with being targeted by occult members showing up and speaking curses and other languages over me, um. And not just the demon rapes, but also people would show up in my room to to rape me. And there were different locations that progressed after that initial one that I would be taken to um, and always trying to navigate a way to try to get out of it um, and like would feel trapped in. And so as, as life continued, it seemed like abusers. And traffickers were always just, you know, targeting me and aware, aware of who I was and trying to hurt and exploit me.
0: So just for a bit of clarification, uh, this programmer at Berkeley used a programming script to help you build essentially an inner world location that was very purple, where you could go on the inside of your subconscious essentially yeah. and over the years there were other locations of that nature not physically necessarily but spiritually where you would be targeted while you were sleeping or whatever so when the the the, the, the um abuse would be happening to you at night you'd be in those locations having to try to find a way out which meant waking up yes and wow. some,
1: sometimes the abuse actually came to me uh-huh. meaning like a person from another part of the world would just show up in my room start talking to me and then rape me um and so i was in my room my body was asleep but my consciousness was awake and these events would take place other times i would be pulled out of my body and it would literally be kind of like you're you're slipping out of yourself so it would be like my head would be slowly moving down my body and i would be aware of everything around me and they would be taking me somewhere and i could turn around and see my body laying yes. there and um and so it happened presently where i was and then sometimes there were other locations that i was taken to where this abuse occurred. And so in current time reality, like in the natural, abusive people would show up as well. And I would, I was always wondering, what is it about me? Why do these things keep happening to me? And I had a lot of shame because I hadn't had a chance to even start healing from all of these things. So You know, relationships were always pretty toxic. At a very early age, I um, started drinking hard alcohol. I was trying to find a way to numb um, all of the trauma going on inside because it was very much like a storm inside. (laughs) Um, And I was I was good at faking like everything was okay on the outside. just to keep going. But inside, my world was very, very, very complicated. Um, So, you know, my first boyfriend convinced me that I had to give him uh, my virginity, which had already actually been taken by the by several abusers in my childhood. Um, But he convinced me that I had to give him my virginity for his birthday. (laughs) And that I was just like, oh, this guy loves me, and the moment that that's that he started to make those moves, because I had already been um, sexually abused at that point by three different abusers, it, um, and then in the spirit realm and at night, I had been raped and abused more times, more times than I could even count by fourteen. Uh, I just froze. And I just didn't even know what to do. And in that relationship, he continued to tell me this is what I had to do. And I just, all I could do was just freeze because I had seen that in the abuse, the sexual abusers that that hurt me physically and also spiritually, that if I fought it was worse, the torture was worse, the pain was worse, the abuse was more violent. So I just froze. And I actually ended up pregnant at 14 years old, um, not even knowing I was pregnant. (laughs) My precious mom that did her best, you know, found out uh, because, you know, there's certain things that are supposed to happen every month and it didn't happen. And so um, it was just decided by the family that the best decision was for me to have an abortion. And so I had an abortion at 14 years old. And that's really, I think, when the heavy drinking started. And I started experimenting with acid and molly or ecstasy pills. And what's interesting is I I had this ability to do really well in school. And um, that was probably what I loved most about myself. Um, I don't think I loved too much else about myself in, in high school, um, and middle school, but I did really well in school. So I was able to go to school highly functioning, um, and, and smart. <laughs> I was able to like, you know, get invited to different programs, like, um, youth leadership forum on medicine at UCLA and, um, a, a program for, um, students excelling and that want to go into the medical field that are excelling in science at stanford and things like that so these huge opportunities were happening for me with school my teachers had no idea that i was bringing vodka in my water bottle in my backpack to school that you know um i had this whole chaotic life going on my my parents definitely didn't know because i was able to dissociate and compartmentalize and be who I needed to be at that time to just get through. So it was very challenging for my family to help me because the dissociated parts were still there and all of this spiritual warfare was going on, but I was, I worked very hard to fake like everything was okay. Um, And so moving forward, um, I ended up meeting uh, a guy that was a, a pimp and he and his friends were a part of a whole um, family of traffickers and they were trying to build up their stable or get as many girls as they could to move with them to Vegas. And so while I'm in high school, my, my second relationship uh, is with this guy that, you know, I thought, Oh, he is like so cute. And I can't believe he like is you know, looking at me or interested in me. I'm so young, you know, and the grooming process started. He started taking me to the track or to the strip out in San Francisco to see the other girls that were prostituting or trafficked individuals. He would have me watch movies on, you know, trafficking and stuff like that, hold guns to my head. Um, it was a very violent and toxic relationship. And uh, so it was just this grooming process. And after that, it was like he believed that I was his. So there would be these moments of time that he would kind of like stop interacting for a while. And if I started talking to someone else, he would show up out of nowhere, you know, snatch me up. And and it was just this really toxic back and forth. So that was my second interaction with a trafficker was being groomed groomed by him and he would take me places and say yeah I just came here yesterday and uh everything got shot up like trying to intentionally bring me around very triggering things and again like put a gun to my head and choke me during sex and things like that that were very very triggering but for me like that type of stuff was already very normal (laughs) because I had experienced so much of that in the spirit. And at night, and I had, I'd had several sexual abusers at that point. And so um, he also uh, tried to get me to start selling drugs at school. He was, he was trying to really groom me.
0: Now, can I (laughs) ask a few questions (laughs) before we go forward? So, 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 so number one, oftentimes, what I find is that um, one ritual abuse tends to be generational. Uh, And and, and so it seems like your mom did her very best once she found out you were being abused at three to get you out of that situation. But then you end up at a programmer uh, who is, quote unquote, the counselor. And then the door remains open for other physical abusers from three to 14 that Seem to work their way in. Now, do you think that throughout that whole time your mom continued to do her best and the the enemy just found a way to bring this to you? Or do you think she had her own level of dissociation that made her more or less compromised and 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 and, and you an easy target?
1: I really do. I really do think that she tried her best. Again, she wasn't like a believer so I don't think she understood all of this stuff she she, in conversations about my full story like later because she never really knew my full story until I was older and started processing and healing but she would say you know when you were younger I would just I would always say my daughter has been abducted by aliens like I just don't even know what's going on or where to start My I hadn't met my biological father until way later in life. So there was a whole nother side to my um, bloodlines and genealogy and stuff that I wasn't even aware of. Um, And so. I definitely had to do some work to pray through that stuff later, but I do think that my mom was doing her best and she kind of felt helpless, you know, because. Like, what do you, what do you do when your daughter's talking about all this crazy stuff and you have no clue about it you know <laughs> um, And there was actually a point which I kind of skipped forward on at age 12 when I was suicidal and was, she brought me to counseling again all she knew to do was just try and get me to counseling and I ended up in a mental institution because all of this all of the, the demons and all the stuff that was happening was so active. Um, and you know, and I was able to kind of make my way out of there by just playing by the rules and again, pretending that I was okay, but they gave me diagnosis of, um, at that time it was bipolar disorder that they said and clinical depression. Um, and so she just, she had no clue what to do, but she was always trying to get me help to the best of her ability. Um, and so I had, so then I had this awareness of all of these, now I have all mental illness and I, you know, and it's like, and I still had no hope or help or way out. So I was, you know, in my high school years, I was like searching. Um, I was always searching for some spiritual, I knew it was all, I knew that this was spiritual because I was very aware of the spirit realm. I would see demons all the time. You know, all this stuff was very, I was very aware of it, but I didn't know how to how to find a way out yet. And so I was like exploring Hinduism. I was exploring. At one point I got into Wicca, you know, thinking, oh, it's the good kind. This is the good kind. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, I've seen those demons and things. I've seen that stuff. Um maybe this is what it is. You know, I was like trying to um And I, so then I got, and I got into tarot cards and I would always know things that were going to happen and all this stuff. I was trying to figure out who am I, why does all this crazy stuff keep happening and how do I get out of it?
0: And I guess my, my, my last question on this part of the story that I know at least some of our listeners are asking themselves is how did the physical male abusers get access uh, before you were 14 in that period? And do you think any of them were practicing occultists?
1: Uh, It seemed like it always happened when I was being babysat or watched. Because again, my like my mom, she got her master's degree. She was always, you know, either trying to work as a single mom or trying to go to school or whatever. And there was like a time that I spent over the summer in Jamaica, and I believe that an aunt was. Physically abusing me and uh, um, sexually abusing me, I do believe she was involved in the occult. Um, but you know, I'm not sure if all of the physical abusers were were either you know in the occult or SRA. Or I'm actually not sure. All I knew is that they these people always found me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that they were always drawn to me to try to, to rape or abuse me. And it just kept happening and happening and happening. And it seemed like it was happening all over. I I used to feel like, is there something written on my forehead? Like, (laughs) how does this, (laughs) how does this keep happening to me? Cause I definitely would try to avoid it, you know? Um, But I also think I didn't have um, the ability to discern or understand if a person was safe or not um, because this toxic normal was from the beginning. So it was like I, I guess it would be like I came off as very like naive because I, I couldn't someone that had never been through the, the trauma that I'd been through would be able to say that looks like a bad situation. That is not a good opportunity that has red flags all over it um and I just saw this meme the other day where like a counselor is like talking to this guy that's laying on a couch and he's like didn't you see all the red flags and the guy laying there is like I thought it was a carnival you know like it seemed normal it was it was normal to me so I wasn't able to recognize red flags that someone else would have said oh gosh that's super creepy you know that doesn't make sense. You should stay away from that person. Whereas I would just be going with the flow of life and like really not very aware. And I had to really do a lot of work to forgive myself for feeling naive or stupid, you know, for always ending up in these horrible situations Um, and realize that I just didn't have the ability to recognize it at the time, you
0: know, which brings us back to yeah. where we left off, and so now you're in this situation with this groomer, mm-hmm. calling himself your boyfriend, but he's not. He, he's a handler. And okay, let's let let's pick up from there. What happened?
1: So he was just kind of like that guy that was always on and off. He would keep he would show up, and we'd be together for a little bit, and then he kind of disappeared because he was trying to manage getting multiple girls. You know, so moving forward and through high school, you know, um, I'm struggling with, with drugs. He had taught me to sell drugs, but that wasn't that wasn't a very good idea because I was using them and trying to sell them at the same time. <laughs> um, and so, you know, then I end up when I'm skipping a little bit further to when I'm 18, I'm, I'm still um, or at the at the, uh, my senior year. Another trafficker shows up, and this one is a female. And some of my sexual abusers were female in my childhood. Um, and definitely some of the demonic rapes were not only male demons, but female demons, and one that was both. Uh, so I had been a, physically and in the spirit um, abused by both males and females. And so she showed up and she actually was a stripper in San Francisco and had all this money and stuff, and somehow coerced me into going with her um, to the strip club. And at that time, I wasn't of age to dance in that strip club, but I remembered her talking to like the managers and stuff like that. So it was an all nude strip club in San Francisco that sold alcohol and all this stuff. And, um, she was just like, yeah, this is just what you got to do. And like, I'm going to be here for you. And she kind of came off as like, I want to be, I want to take you under my wing and I want to like help you. And I was just gullible enough to think, yeah, you know, maybe, okay, maybe this is a good idea. <laughs> and, um, she w- was, you know, she knew that I had been through hard stuff. And so the idea, the idea got introduced to me that, well, you've already been sexual or had sexual stuff done to you before. So it doesn't even really matter. Like you're it doesn't even really matter. It's the customers and the tricks that are stupid. Like they're giving you money for your body, but every female has a body. So like if they want to pay for it. It's actually, you're actually smarter that you're, because you're going to have people pay for it instead of just giving it away for free. I know that sounds really crazy, but that theology that, <laughs> uh, or, you know, like that concept seemed like it made sense to me because my body had been violated so many times for free.
0: So You're not the only one. I've heard that multiple times. It's that moment where a person realizes, oh, I can get paid for this. But with the mountain of abuse, okay. It's understandable. Please continue.
1: Yes. So, um, so I started stripping in San Francisco while I was in my senior year of high school. And even though she said, you can make all this money for this. You're not doing it for free. All of my money went to her. And so I would come off of the stage with the cash or whatever, or from private dances. And I was to always give it to her. And she would be saying, okay, what do you want me to get you? Like I'll get you stuff. Like you can have nice things. You just have to give all the money to me. And At that point, I was just kind of in the robotic routine of, okay, this is just what it is now. I'm not comfortable. This feels weird, but I don't really think I have a choice. And she had this husband that she kept telling me, oh, you're going to meet my husband and we're going to be together. And I was scared of that. And I would tell her, like, I don't want customers to touch me like in my private parts. Like I don't want I was always very scared of being ripped or loose down there because of all of the trauma I'd already went through. So I would keep telling her, I don't I don't want to, I don't want customers, I don't want them to touch me down there. I don't want them to have sex with me. I'm I don't I'm really nervous about that. And she would just be like, oh it's okay, it's okay. And she would take me to on hotel calls with tricks and customers with her. And she would explain to the customers, oh no, I'm going to have sex with her and you can watch and you're just going to pay me more because she's here and you get to see her too. And um, it's extra for that. Um, And like, you can like touch her, you can do stuff to her body, but you just can't put, you know, put it in her basically. And so I had been to a couple hotel visits with her, with customers, and that's what she would tell them. And she was trying to warm me up to this is just what it is, you know. So that was the third trafficker. (laughs) And I was I I don't even know how she kind of let me out of that whole arrangement. Um, But she started getting very it felt like obsessed with me and talking about being in this relationship with her and her husband and it that's what just started after going on a, with a few of these tricks and these these hotel runs after dancing and all this i was just like i i couldn't I, I was like i i don't i don't really want to be in a relationship with you and i don't know how i got out of it but i did
0: um and you, were, you were still in high school with all of this mm-hmm. oh my gosh and okay so you get out but you still have to finish high school. I'm sure this didn't yes. help. The...
1: And high school was doing great. Like in high school, I was getting great grades, honors, taking college courses at the community college. So I was juggling multiple realities, lifestyles and parts all at the same time and somehow had the ability to switch between those lifestyles and still be really successful in school. I don't know how. So by the time I graduate high school, now going to San Francisco State University and moving forward um, with life, you know, I I was still at home with my family and there came a moment which I, you know, I, I found that I needed to have my own place to live. Because I'm getting older now, there's all this stuff going on, like I need my own place to live. But I really didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and so I remembered, wait, I could make money doing this stuff. And I don't have to be raped. Like, I don't have to be raped. And I had zero value for my body, like zero. So I found a strip club that was like. A few hours outside of town where I thought nobody will see me here um and you know I could make some money you know doing this stuff and nobody would know about it you know and so I started dancing and you know immediately was able to make some money and get a place my uh stepsister her mom had a had a place and she uh, that opened up right away and so I like immediately got my own little apartment um and just was trying to build my life but in the sex industry there's so much that happens and that's like a whole nother a whole nother thing and um my you know towards the end of that six months I started getting very suicidal and um I tried to commit suicide. I had just bought a brand new like butcher knife set from Ikea (laughs) and, you know, um, it was just one of those nights where I was like, these bad things keep happening to me. Cause I'd had someone target me as a stripper and, um, slice a tire and like janky, um, tow truck person shows up. That's not AAA. That's trying to, to, Drive me and tow me somewhere, and then AAA shows up, and they're like, I don't know who this guy is, but they're not a to- they're- This is not the person you called, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> like Those are the types of things that were always going on. Um, and so that's finally, really scary, yes. <laughs> and when I looked down, because I had already got into that tow truck, hmm. and when I looked down, the whole panel was gutted, like there was no way for me to open the door, and the AAA person made the guy come open the door to let me out. It was just crazy. like so but again, it's like it's just another thing. and I think that kind of pushed me to where I was like, why why am I even alive Like this horrible, demonic, crazy stuff keeps happening to me. even when I'm trying to do good, or trying to take steps forward, horrible things are always happening, and I just found myself in a state of like I just don't want to live anymore. And I had met um, Jesus before when I was 16, I went to a church, but it was a very religious legalistic church. And so it kind of, it was like, I, I, I learned about the Bible, but there was all of this religious stuff that was like, that came with it. You have to dress a certain way, this, this, all that kind of stuff. And so it was like my relationship with God wasn't fully Developed because it came with all these shackles with it, right? So in this skipping forward into this suicide attempt, when I'm like, I can't do the stripping thing anymore. I took out that butcher knife um, set, and I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but hopefully, (laughs) hopefully, um, people are able to kind of track with me. I'm in the middle of this suicide attempt because I just feel like all these horrible things keep happening. I have no hope to even like why am i even alive and i'm slicing away at my wrist and i like i'm now I have blood all over me and i'm sitting in my own blood and i had an encounter with the lord. Wow. In the middle of a drunken suicide attempt as a stripper. He was not intimidated by all of that. And As I was literally trying to end my life, I saw a vision from the Lord and I saw all of these people and they were waiting as if like they were waiting for hope and some were sick and some were like they were just broken down. And he said to me, the Lord said to me, who's going to help all of these people that I created you to reach? And you can't end your life because their lives are dependent on it. Like wow. your life is mine. And I, I think that's when like this whole relationship with God was more than it's okay. So it's not just this thing where I have all these weights added to me of all of these reasons why I'm not good enough and why I could never really be accepted or loved by him. This is real. This is real. And I, and I, and I'll never forget. All those people swinging and they needed him. And he was like, this is like, you're alive for this reason. And so um, <laughs> he's just so amazing that right in the middle of my sin and my pain and trying to end it all, he showed up and allowed me to sense and feel his presence and his love. And there was no shame. It was just his love. Such a holy God that was not intimidated by all of those things. And um, so that was when I was like, I'm done with the stripping stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm like I got God. God's real. God's real, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm like, I gotta get back, I gotta get back into college, you know, keep moving forward. And yeah. I move out of state, I'm like, I'm gonna do this now, I'm gonna do, you know. Um, and I was really growing in my relationship with the Lord and my love for his word, and like it was all just becoming so real to me. And there were so many things in the Bible that really made sense to me because again, I had all this awareness of spirit realm stuff, but I never really found the context or the foundation and the frame of it all, where it all really came from. And when I read the Bible, I was like, it talks about spiritual gifts, it talks about. demonic side it talks about angels it talks about like this makes so much sense to me and um and so it's like I started that healing journey but I had a lot of work to do as far as working through all of my stuff but he was with me you know and um I was really trying to do my best from that point to follow the Lord and um and live right and you know and um But it doesn't mean that like instantly everything is like perfection and, you know, you're just automatically perfectly healed and all of your issues are resolved, you know.
0: You don't say.
1: (laughs) Um, So I was still working out my salvation, you know.
0: (laughs) Well, and and can I just, can I just say this point at this juncture in your, your testimony, this is one of my big pet peeves because, you know, and I meet so many people that have been wounded by this concept that, you know, because the work is finished at the cross, right? And it is, I mean, Jesus paid it all. Yes, he did. Um, And, and, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Yes, we are. But the way that that gets applied in some places is that, well, if you are not all fixed up after you get saved and we baptize you, clearly you did something wrong. You are at fault. It's your fault. You should be ashamed of yourself because you're not performing to expectations of our perspective. And 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 because there is a journey of sanctification that the Bible really does talk about, so many people end up in a pit because it's a it, it's a wrongly applied revelation, and and it, it frankly it is a journey. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes a lot of work, a lot of healing, a lot of deliverance, and that's okay. So I I really just take opportunities to drive that home, but please right? You're there, you're trying. Yeah.
1: I do want to say also that I think every part of me might've not been sure of Jesus yet too, you know, because Jesus coming in, it's like, well, it he hadn't yet come into all of the places within me. There were still places that were locked off. And so if that isn't thought about, you know, for someone that's been through the fracturing the trafficking the occult then you know it has to be considered and there has to be a lot of grace for that right
0: because i am so glad you said that yeah right because and and I, okay so I, I sit here i've been working with survivors for 10 years i've been doing deep deep program this is a fact the fact is a person's presenter may receive jesus and choose that route mm-hmm. while there are Other parts, alternate personalities that are witches, warlocks, prostitutes, wives of evil entities in the second heaven, CIA agents. I mean, the list goes on and on. None of them knowing Jesus or caring about him or being completely antagonistic towards him while the presenter is striving to live a God-centered life. And when there is no consideration for fracturing and the reality that creates on the inside, it, it becomes confusing. I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah, because I do feel like when every part of me fully encountered Christ, it's like the fullness of the cross was applied more to my life because now I didn't have parts of me that weren't sure about him or didn't know about him yet. You know, wow. so... um So at this point, you know, I start going to college in another state, and um, this was the time where MySpace was around. I don't know if anybody remembers MySpace, but it was kind of like Facebook, and you could, like, make your own page and stuff, and um, there was a modeling agency from Los Angeles that saw my pictures somehow, um, came across it, and said, uh, and reached out to me. And they're like, we want to give you an opportunity to move to Los Angeles and pursue modeling and acting and what have you. And so I thought, hmm, maybe this is like an avenue to kind of travel around the world and do good and like, you know, help people. Maybe this is how I'll do it. Didn't really have a whole lot of wisdom yet, but it it seemed like a good idea. Maybe this is because I always loved like acting and stuff. Like even when I was little, I would be like directing plays and get the neighborhood kids to come over and be like, okay, you're going to be this, you're going to be this. It was like a way to escape from stuff. So I always kind of had a passion for that. So I thought maybe this is how, and I kind of left all of the progress that I was making where I was And um, moved to Los Angeles green and thinking, hey, maybe this is it, you know, and started doing auditions and um, all the time everywhere. And uh, ended up uh, at this daytime soiree with this uh, for this clothing designer who's a billionaire. And um, all of these who's who's are there and networking and it was all swanky and bougie and stuff and um towards the end of that he approached me and he's like oh I hope I get to see you again and shortly after that his people contacted me for a modeling opportunity and whenever we had went into his property whenever I went into his property in Los Angeles they like scanned your ID and got all your information at a security checkpoint so to speak so that's how they were able to like contact me and they said you know We would love to hire you to do a modeling job in another country. And they kind of set the stage for this stuff because at that networking party, they were playing this reel of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous and this big property. And oh, Oprah had stayed there and all of these famous people had stayed at this resort. It was like paradise. So I'm thinking, this is a great idea. (laughs) Wow, you know, maybe this will turn into um a contract with the clothing line because that's what they said. This could turn into more opportunities for you. And they gave me a one- way ticket. Now, again, for someone that's never been through all this stuff I'm talking about, that would be like, uh, definitely not, you know, but I thought this was a wonderful opportunity, and I was trusting that this could be a great op this could be great. So when I, uh, I I went, and I will just kind of give a little disclaimer that I'm not saying the name of this trafficker or the location, um, just for a very specific reason, um, as far as some, some legal stuff that's finally happening with that. Um, but when I got there, I'm like, okay, let me just kind of get myself together. I get picked up in this Hummer. And Whisked away to this paradise resort. And I'm thinking, this is the most luxury I have ever seen, like in person. And it was just so beautiful. And we drive past the security gates, and I'm taken to a room. And I end up in a room where there's a lot of personal belongings and there's not two beds. And I'm thinking, well, it would have, if there was two beds, it would make sense because there could be another model staying with me or whatever, we could be rooming together, but this is weird. And then the clothing designer comes in and he just starts grabbing my body and he's like, oh, I'm gonna, we're gonna have a lot of fun. I'm gonna have a lot of fun with you. And I'm like in shock and frozen because again, this isn't what I thought it was gonna be. And so I had all this hope and now I'm back to, just freeze. Don't, don't say or do anything that would be fighting right now because I learned if you fight or do something or resist, you know, if you don't give permission, it gets worse. And, um, but I was still trying to think, okay, maybe this is a mistake. (laughs) And, um, so we go out to that night. We're supposed to go to one of these modeling events and it is, you know, I'm thinking we're going to go to a place where there's going to be press about the clothing line and things like that. And we drive there with other girls too. And it's just a nightclub. There was no step and repeat. There was no press. There was no representation of the clothing. PR, nothing. And one of the girls like slid across the seat when, after we were seated in the VIP section. And she's like, I don't know if you know what you got yourself into, but just do whatever he says. Like, if you don't, he's going to rape you anally. And, you know, it just, there's just a whole lot of stuff that just happened to this girl. And I, you know, I just don't want it to happen to you. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, here it is again. And, um, and so that night, you know, I was raped by another monster and this man you know, um, was just disgusting. (laughs) And so every night there would be all of these different girls that would show up for dinner and we would eat dinner and play board games while he was deciding who he wanted to (laughs) rate. And um, it was kind of like universally known that you don't speak unless he speaks to you. You better show up presentable in front of him or there's consequences. There was all these things that he would say, it's illegal if you do this or that, you know, and I was already very familiar with some of these rules from previous traffickers and rapists and abusers. And I was just kind of, I was just stuck. And again, I felt like I was just a robot kind of going through the motions of just trying to not be seen, trying to make sure I respond if. My name was called trying to do what I was told so that the, the abuse wasn't worse. And there were girls that disappeared and um, there were young, young girls that would show up. And he, um, you know, one time I, I realized that some girls got to get a flight home and I thought, wait, we could get a flight home, you know, and I went to his office. And again, you were not allowed to talk to him unless he was asking to speak to you. So it took a lot of strength to do this. And I just asked him if I could please have a ticket home. And he pointed to my picture on, on the wall behind him. He said, oh no, see this picture? Uh, my My main girlfriend saw this picture and she wanted you. So I bought you as a Christmas gift for her and you can't leave until you do what I bought you for. And she's on holiday right now, so when she gets back, you're gonna do what I bought you for and I'm thinking, haven't I like <laughs> he had already raped me several times, like hadn't I done enough? Um, so somebody got paid, and for somebody somehow you know, I don't know who, but um so she did come back and then what's so interesting is that I immediately she immediately started telling me oh I love you I love you you're my girlfriend like I love you just tell me the information about what happened when I was gone <laughs> and she was just I was her favorite and she started a, a grooming process with me of what I would have to do because we were gonna travel and also be around some celebrities potentially and I needed to be sexually available for whoever they put me in front of and she would have me watch porn see that the issue with me is that I just was a little too boring for him and for them because I would just lay there frozen and checked out and he didn't like that I wasn't fun well I was also dissociating <laughs> and completely I mean, in another place <laughs> So um, she was trying to make me like watch porn. She bought me wigs. She was like trying to develop me into like the perfect sex slave for them and for their wealthy friends. And um, just introducing me to all kinds of things to try and make me what she and he wanted me to be. And we did travel to a couple of other places. And, um, And I was able to get away because finally I realized she has his ear like he actually listens to her she can talk freely with him without there being consequences for starting conversations or whatever. and so I asked her, can you get me a ticket home? and I'll still be with you like I'll be with you like you're my first like real girlfriend so this is special, you know because I realized she again was very obsessed with me and so she was like, yeah, yeah. and she got me a ticket home and that's how I got home. Now, when I got back, I don't know if I did this consciously as a coping mechanism but the whole, or, or if it was a subconscious dissociation, but the whole, that whole event was completely gone. When I come, came back, I changed my number, my email and stuff, and I started living as if with no recollection of it. Of it. And so I was in a spiraling toxic downward because, again, I was thinking all this time I'm doing good now. I'm like doing great, you know, and it turned into that again. And so when I got back, I started drinking, you know, again, and I just ended up with another person that was always arranging these meetups with people. And I found myself in another cycle of getting randomly raped places and things like that and exploited all over again. And, um, and so my progression of healing was not linear. It was like all over the place, you know, (laughs) But, but at least Jesus didn't leave me. Like he didn't, he didn't leave me when I was going through all that stuff. And, and so, um, uh, were,
0: were, were there reminders from Jesus along the way, like you're in that dark place, you're overseas, you're this, you're that, but like reminders, like I'm still here.
1: You know, I think that I'm not sure if I was aware of those reminders while I was in it in it uh-huh. but in my healing yeah that I went through afterwards there were reminders wow and okay. so for me whenever I you know really came out I always thought one day one day there's gonna come a day where things will get better and better you know and I um I I Was in another relationship, this time with a prince from Africa, from Equatorial Guinea. And um, this is when I was still in the Hollywood scene and stuff. And I was with him for about a year. And I came to a breaking point because now I have like $30,000 and a new Gucci purse. And we're traveling all over the world. And he's so charismatic and so loving. And he wants to marry me also had a cocaine issue. And when he would leave, he would have orgies and come back. So there was also issues there. (laughs) But I think that for me, the big, big wake up call of total surrender was all of this wealth is around me. And if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, I probably could do that. But I realized that if it's not the purpose and the plan that Jesus has for me, it's worth nothing. Because I wasn't fulfilled. And I think all of these little girls, when they're growing up, they think, I just want to be a princess. And here I was with all that I've been through. And I had the opportunity to literally be a princess because he wanted to marry me. And it felt like this seems like the end goal for so many people. But it was empty. And... Um, and I that's actually when I broke down and had my total surrender again. <laughs> but this time it was like, but for real, for real, Jesus, you know. <laughs> and I was on the bathroom floor in a mansion in Malibu, weeping my life out before him. And I said, Jesus, I I'm done with trying to pretend that I know how to fulfill your plan. For me, because I was trying to do the right things, but I wasn't being led by him. I was just trying to figure out how to do it. And in that moment of total surrender, I said, Lord, I don't care if I have to live in a cardboard box with nothing. I don't, I I, I don't, wherever it is that you lead me, I want your purpose for me. I want your plan for my life because without you, this is trash. This is. This is worth nothing. And I think that's when my real healing journey began. It was that place of total surrender, not just allowing Jesus in a little bit, Mm. but allowing him to be my Lord, my the the leadership of my life, allowing him to lead me um, versus just kind of tag tugging him along with me wherever I thought I was supposed to be going. And, um, and I, and I, you know, got involved with a, a church and started my whole healing journey really started from there. And there was different phases of healing. And I started sharing parts of my story and realizing the power of sharing my story. And, um, and I had a really cool moment that I think, uh, people will love to hear. Cause I think it definitely gave me a lot of hope. And this is when, um, I was sharing my story at a at a women's conference in California and I'd shared like almost everything, right? So and and the Lord moved so beautifully and women were like wow, if you're still alive after all of that, I know I can get through what I'm dealing with, you know? And I just was like, wow, like God, you're really using what you did in my life to help people. And this was a moment where the Lord said to me, "You're not letting me into every place and every part of you. There's something about your story that you didn't share yet." And I was like, "Huh? Like, what do you, what do you mean?" <laughs> uh, and I was just in this place of being in his, being in the glory and in his presence, and I'm just worshiping him. And he's like, wants to talk about something else. And he said, "Will you let me into that place?" And I actually saw a vision of a dungeon within myself and it was locked and it was very dark and creepy looking and it was deep 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 down and he said will you let me into that place and I said yes lord of course I want you to come into all of me and that's when I started remembering the trafficking stuff the memories came back to me And so it was like Jesus did a, it was like Psalm 24, like the gates of me were opened and he was coming in through every single place. And, and he started to heal and integrate my heart. And I sat with him and he started to allow me to remember and, and heal my, my fractured soul. And it was what's interesting is I didn't even know I didn't I even though I was aware that there was like a boardroom in my head and like different voices. like I knew that I had still trauma and fracturing and issues to a degree. I didn't really understand how all of that worked and what that really looked like and what did that all really mean until you started that work with me.
0: What year was this? So
1: this is when I was 24. 25 so this would have been like maybe around 2010 or so yeah no yeah around it was around 2010 years and stuff when i'm talking about all this can be a little bit uh cloudy but yeah it was around it was around 2010 and so that's when the i became aware that there were other parts that jesus was coming into and healing and i started working on healing from there and I, I mean I didn't even know Jesus could do that at that time. Like I wasn't I wasn't aware of the Dan Duvall, you know, I podcast mean, and <laughs> national ministries. I didn't know about this stuff.
0: <laughs> it, it, honestly, it would have been nice if we could have been around, you know, 30 years prior. I've had people like, where were you when you were seven years old, Dan Duvall? Why would Slacker? Come, come on. Here's the thing though, it's hard. It's hard. To, to, I mean, look, I, I don't know what it's like to be trafficked, but I do know what it's like to be harassed by demons. And I do know what it's like to try to sit down in front of someone that has no idea the context for your experience and give you some religious answer about what they do not understand that is absolutely unhelpful. And the number of people that have been through that, right, will have a boardroom in my head. I have a dungeon on the inside of me getting harassed by demons and pulled out at night and taking all these places and stuff happens. Oh, there's pills for that. You know, and, and, and the thing is we, we have a different slogan, the bride ministries hashtag, like we have prayers for that, but they have pills. (laughs) Pills. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this was a, a little challenging when he so he makes this request of you, but. What, what do you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I had already like totally surrendered. Yeah. So so what happens is like from then on, I continued having encounters with Jesus, seeing him, encountering him, um, moments with him. And he's just so kind. He's so kind and he's so loving and he's so understanding. And, you know, he showed me one time, you know, when I was in, in this series of my relationship with him and digging into the word and prayer and worship and encountering him where he's healing me through progressively through encountering, encountering him. Um, He, he said to me, like, I understand like, I went through this, and I was like, whoa. And he brought me to Matthew 4 when he was tempted um, after fasting and praying for 40 nights. And how Satan, he, Jesus allowed himself to be pulled in the spirit realm by Satan to a pinnacle and tempted. Like, he allowed himself to be pulled through, like, So he could be the standard to show us that there's a way out. And I was like, you allowed yourself to go through things that I went through so that I could have someone that gets it. Like you lowered yourself not only to being human, but going through the persecution and the warfare and the abuse and the things that like you do get it. And also, like when his clothes were ripped off of him, and he's being physically assaulted and hung on the cross, and overcoming shame for me, for everyone listening, for for all of the world, that was sexual abuse as well as persecution and being violently assaulted because his clothes were ripped off of him. And so, when I realized, like, like that, you actually do understand, it was like. That for me was major, major. And so I knew if I could just keep encountering him and being with him, that he could heal me and he could, and he could also heal others. And so, yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. wow, So, so he met you mm-hmm. uh, 2010, you, you began to work. I mean, what was your process like of him introducing himself to the different parts? how did How did you experience that?
1: I would say the most memorable one is the one that i that I just shared, but there were also times where it would be like dreams in the night where he would show up and I would be a different age or something like that, and he would be with me and be bring healing to me, and I would go with him and things like that. And so for me, it happened in so many ways with him, you know, and I think that he, it's like, he knows what we're ready for and when we're ready for it. And if he's with us, then we can do it, you know? And, um, and so healing, I mean, I went through, I, I became very much, um, found a value for various types of inner healing or deliverance. Cause I was, I was trying to navigate, you know, healing myself. And then at the same time, all of these other people that had been through various types of abuse or trafficking or or DID, you know, would start, you know, showing up like because the Lord was doing it in me and was doing it for me. And I was able to give away what He freely gave to me, freely give to them. And um so I mean I went through various phases of healing. Um, and and encounters with him, whether it was in the word, whether it was in the courtroom of heaven, <laughs> uh, working through, you know, repenting and renouncing things, and um, but it was always very much the the times that I feel like I moved forward in my healing journey, kind of going from glory to glory and being transformed more and more into the likeness of who He is. It, it was the moments where. It was all based in love in him. It was like any time that I tried to pursue like learning about or, or receiving like a deliverance model that wasn't free of legalism and shame and all of it just there was no there was no relief from that stuff. And so um, I just wanted to really learn all about deliverance and healing and and integrating and because I because I knew, that there was that crowd of people that were waiting to meet Jesus. And now my life had a real purpose to help other people to give my life away. And so that's why I feel like he's even given me the grace to talk about all this stuff that would be maybe looked at as really dirty or shameful, or like, why would you want to talk about all that horrible stuff that you went through? Like, well, it's because it's really about everything that Jesus set me free from.
0: Come on. And what He
1: has the ability to set others free from. And I want him to be glorified through my life because I could have died several times without him. And the only reason why I'm still here is to help others and bring others to him.
0: Now, you had at some point in... This story, I mean not at 2010, obviously, but um, you it, it were introduced to a number of ministries, a number of models, a number of different things Somehow you found us uh, before we met and uh, I mean I, I mean, you even used some of my prayers on other people you were helping how, how did how did that happen? I'm, I'm curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was already like, you know, in ministry, full-time ministry and like meeting with people to help them through healing and freedom and deliverance and, um, and then integrating when I realized that there was fractured parts, you know, basically just introducing those parts to Jesus. Jesus does all the heavy lifting, you know, just like, we just want him to, to show up and for them to feel like they can trust him, you know, and, And talk to him. And so uh, uh, that work was was happening. And then I started encountering people that had been through satanic ritual abuse um, and mind control and um, had been trafficked in the middle of all of that as well. And I really, I think that's really when I started realizing that it was the occult ritual abuse during the time when I was a baby that caused all of these horrible things to be magnetized towards me and all these traumas and rapes and all these traffickers and all this horrible stuff that it was the beginning when I was a baby, you know, all of that. And so it was kind of like, I feel like I, I heal and I grow and I learn in every season, I'm still healing and learning and growing in every season. Um, And that's when I kind of made some connections for myself and realized I need more resources to help people like me (laughs) who just don't realize that they were targeted individuals and how to deal with all that. Um, And so it really started with like one SRA trafficking survivor that opened up to a whole network of others. And then they just all started coming, you know, and I think that's redemption because before getting healing and freedom, The bad always showed up and hurt me and tortured and abused me. But now like God sends people and I get to share him with them and it's beautiful redemption. And so I needed to find strategies. I would be constantly like I'm fasting. I'm praying. Okay. Okay. There's evil counsels now, Jesus. What does that mean? That's new to me. (laughs) And then I think somewhere in that trying to find strategies to help these girls, I, I came across um, your books and information, and um, was so thankful, like that there's somebody else out there that has already been doing this for a very long time and doing it well and making resources available to others. And so, I mean, I would just be reading those books and praying through, and like, okay, Jesus, what's the angle? What's the strategy? What are we doing? You know, and um, and He would just show up and I've I've definitely been thankful to have those as a resource when working with, with girls over the years. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful to have that available.
0: And see, this is okay. So what you described though, is, is, is so accurate about, about the trafficking and its connection to the world of satanic ritual abuse. And and, and 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 truly, one of the ways this looks in the spirit, like a person can literally have it's like a banner that sits over them in the spirit world and it says, abuse me, like and until that is dismantled, and you can ritually set that over a person. You know, these are the kinds of things people you're just not told until you know. But there's a lot of stuff that and, and the connection between the occult world and trafficking is so huge. And I, I mean, I could go into a lot of detail, but I'm interviewing you. The, 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 the thing is though, people will say, Oh, you know, we want to solve the problem of human trafficking because now somehow over the past few years, that's become really cool to say, you want to do like, everyone's like, Oh yeah, I want a piece of that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, I don't know that all of it's legitimate. Yeah. You know, I know you're legitimate. That's why you're here. But at, At the same time, the thing is, it's like you cannot divorce the subject of human trafficking from the occult world and an understanding of the occult. In fact, a lot of the techniques that are used to control and manipulate the girls that are being trafficked come from the literally occult source, like, strategy. Like, they are leaning into the occult for the manipulation strategies, for the grooming strategies, and... I mean, frankly, they're putting girls through rituals. Yeah. I, I mean, and and yeah, you might call it BDSM or you might call it just grooming, but these are rituals. And that they, they are putting demonic overlays on this stuff. And it's it's just totally interwoven. And so it's like, okay, we want to help people that are coming out of trafficking. It's like, how are you going to do that without Jesus? You, you're just going to give them a handout and a pat on the back and say, we are not going to put shame on you because of what you've been through. Feel good about yourself and they'll be okay. It's like we need strategy from heaven because we're coming up against strategies from hell. And um, so you've seen it. You've been uh, working with people now that that are not only just, you know, being sexually abused, but also exposed to satanic ritual abuse and other stuff. And 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 now you've started your own organization over the past year. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, my nonprofit is Take Flight Survivors, and what we seek to do is embrace survivors of sex trafficking with confidence and support as they're escaping slavery and getting to the safe place. So that's the place where we really focus is. Um, assisting in the escape and helping to navigate and coordinate care resources services to get to that safe place away from their traffickers and it's different for every individual you know um, what choices they want to make what's best for for them Um, and so we work with girls all over the U.S. and um, it's been such a joy actually um I got a confirmation from the Lord when to start Take Flight by um, a young survivor of satanic ritual abuse and trafficking that I got to introduce to Jesus, the true Jesus. (laughs) And um, she had a dream from the Lord and she shared it with me. And she said, we were on an airplane and then you turned around and you gave me this piece of paper and it said, take flight. And at that time, this child that just met Jesus didn't even know that that was a vision that the Lord had given me a few years back and I was waiting for his timing. And so I think it's really cool that Jesus chose to confirm it through a child survivor of SRA and trafficking as as such a powerful confirmation that could not be ignored. And um, so, yeah, now we are able to help and assist and pray for and work with girls all over the U.S. And it's just um, such an honor to be able to do it.
0: (laughs) Take flight. And and here's one of the things that I was excited about when we first were introduced and had some time to chat on the phone. You know, Bride Ministries, we are very in touch with our mandates. And um, one of that includes development of resources. I mean, we're sitting there carving out, understanding and new techniques and stuff all the time. But one of the things we don't do, we don't do relocation services. I mean, we, I just don't, we don't have the bandwidth for it. We don't do it. Like I don't have an outreach to help people escape trafficking situations, but that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's really cool because, you know, God gives different assignments to different children because he has the whole game plan. And so I I I, I want to like let you tell our listeners like okay so they they need to take flight. Yes. How do they engage with you?
1: So you can go to our website takeflightsurvivors.org and if you currently feel like you are in a situation that you you need to escape and you need help, there's a get help um, button there, and basically you can kind of fill out a very very quick form. It takes only a few minutes to do. So that we can, and that form comes straight to me, <laughs> and then we, um, our team begins to look for resources, um, either where you are, or if you're choosing to want to get to another state or what have you, and um, if you need assistance with travel or with immediate needs like food and clothing. I mean, most survivors leave their traffickers with absolutely nothing, and um, and sometimes not knowing that there's resources to help them get out is what makes them feel like they have to stay because they don't know any other way to live outside of what they've been experiencing. And so that's what we seek to do is, is get those immediate urgent needs met in the crisis of, of escaping and then, um, offering resources and other ministries like this one. If something we've actually, um, referred some girls, uh, to the coaching um that you all offer and they they found it very helpful um in the past so we kind of work like almost kind of like a concierge <laughs> you know we're like we're okay what do you need we're going to like hustle and figure it out and find it for you you know and, and work to partner with others to give you a couple of options to choose from um and and just pray for you in your journey so that's kind of how it works you know and we're And and we really want to be a friend more than anything through the process, because programs can start and stop safe home programs. If that's what someone wanted to transition to, you know, it can start and stop Um, detox, whatever it is that they need can start and stop. But having like a friend through the process that's there to just, you know, understand and support. That's what we really want to do. So.
0: So good. So. Friends, uh, again, that's uh, takeflightsurvivors.org, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited, Sula, because you're you are a testimony to what the Lord can do. You you have a tough story. I, I mean, it has wrought with 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 heartache, and I mean, very low points and points where Jesus is not ashamed to meet you or anyone else. And, and that's the beautiful thing. You know, you, you come through all of these things, you come out the other side and here you are telling me, I live to serve God and serve others. I mean, wow. Wow. Praise God for you, friend.
1: Thank you so much. It, it just makes me feel like none of my pain or my tears were wasted because God gets to take what Satan meant for evil and from my harm for, for bad and turn it around and use it for good. And I I feel like it's kind of like I get to gut punch Satan every time I get to help someone (laughs) escape his, his kingdom of darkness, (laughs) you know? And so, um, it's meaningful for me to be able to do this work because it makes it none of it was wasted, you know? So.
0: Well, friends, if you're listening, uh, you can also support what Sula is doing by going to her website. I mean, they do receive donations and, um, Uh, empower her to continue to help other traffic survivors take flight relocate get the services they need um, in order to transition out of really tough situations and so Sula, it's been a pleasure having you on the program getting you to introduce you to our listeners and i know you're going to continue to fight the good fight so friends online until next time god bless and godspeed You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Visit me at dandeval.com where you'll discover merch, books, and the opportunity to engage in our private social network. Join the tribe by subscribing to our email list and supporting this podcast.